We have a very special guest on today's Irish NFL show. We are truly honored and delighted to welcome a man who has two Super Bowl rings, who was drafted uh, as the fifth pick in the 1982 draft, the last heavy metal quarterback, Jim McMahon. A very warm welcome to the Irish NFL show. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Hope you guys are having a good day. We we are we are indeed um, all the better by having you on the show. We we always like to ask our guests: Do do you have any Irish heritage, or have you ever been to this little green island? I believe I have some Irish heritage. I'm I'm really white, and I like my beers. So I think I'm Irish. <laughs> and yes, I have been to the island. Uh, I was over there a few years ago uh, playing golf, and uh, had a great time. And look forward to going back. I want to bring my two sons and, and go back over and get to play in Ireland and also in Scotland as well. And uh, looking forward to that trip. Jim, um, I look when I saw that you, you lived a pretty your life, your early life in San Jose, it brought me back to my youth because I spent a number of summers in Los Gatos, which was only a couple oh, of a couple that, of miles. Yes. Yeah, we had we had family over there and we used to have visit there on a, a regular basis and I think of San Jose, it brings me back, brings me back many memories. For yourself, having lived there and grown up and played sports, was it always American football? I know your family were very supportive and came for you to be the best at your ability. Was there a number of sports you were involved in or was it really always focused around playing American football? No, my, my first love was uh, baseball. I, I always wanted to be a baseball player. Uh, I, played, I played baseball, basketball and, and football in, in high school. Uh, I went to school in college, and, and, and uh, the reason I chose BYU because they were one of the one of the two schools that said I could play both sports when I went there. Because I still want, I still had baseball on my mind, and then uh, ended up just continuing on with football because I started having some arm problems, and and football was my scholarship, so I had to give one of them up, and I ended up staying uh, staying with football. But I always wanted to be a baseball player. I think had I played baseball, my body wouldn't feel like it does today. And uh, uh, well, I, I, tr true, but we, we, I suppose there, there are so many great memories that we will get into. You mentioned BYU there. there. There are stories, and you never know what to believe on the internet. There are stories that you had wanted to go to, to Notre Dame. Is that true? Did you want to play for the Irish? Well, I, I grew up being a, a, a Catholic kid. So, you know, Notre Dame was always, you know, everybody who's Catholic wants to go to Notre Dame. Uh, Unfortunately, they didn't recruit me, you know, and I'm kind of glad now. I mean, the way things turned out, BYU was probably the best place for me as far as, you know, learning the game of football and, and learning a lot about life as well. So uh, it, it all turned out okay. But uh, yeah, it, you know, every Sunday morning, we'd sit and watch the, uh, the, the highlights of the uh, Notre Dame game that was on the day before, you know, I think it was Lindsey Nelson was the, was the broadcaster and, and uh, just, just to see the highlights of the old golden domers running around. It was always fun, but uh, they didn't recruit me. So, you know, that's the rest is history. And Jim, I suppose your first year at, at um, BYU, you spent a lot of that as, as a punter. And, and it's interesting because 
we have a college game coming to, to Dublin in just a few weeks. Nebraska are playing Northwestern. And Northwestern, one of their most famous players in, in history is Paddy Driscoll, who uh, was the son of Irish immigrants. He played all three phases of, of the game famously way back when. For you, that experience of, you know, of punting that, that first year and getting used to it, did that help your football development? Well, I, I just wanted to be, you know, make the varsity squad is, you know, what, whatever I could be, you know, whether it be the quarterback or the punter, or the, you know, that's pretty much it. I couldn't really run that fast. So I couldn't be a receiver, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to be a part of the squad and I was able to, you know, I kicked the ball. Okay. And, and I was able to be the third team quarterback as a freshman. So, um, you know, and, and, and four games into my freshman year, I'm, I'm the backup because our starter got hurt. And, you know, and I'm, now I'm the backup QB. So now I'm only one play away from being in the game. Uh, but I finished that year. I only played a couple of games or briefly in a couple of games my freshman year. And then uh, continued to punt into my sophomore year. And then uh, my sophomore year, I, I ended up beating out Mark Wilson uh, in, during the season. And, and uh, <clears throat> we went to a bowl game that year. Uh, I finished, I, I made all conference as a sophomore. I was, a, I think, the first sophomore QB to do that. And then the year after that, I was redshirted and uh, had to sit and watch Mark Wilson play for a year. So that, that kind of sucked. But uh, yeah, I got to play at least two years on my own there. And, and that was kind of nice. And Jim, believe it or not, uh, 5,000 miles uh, from, from the States, and 40 years on, people here and around the world, I think, still talk about the Holiday Bowl, the, the comeback against SMU. I, it was a game, the Miracle Bowl, a game for, for the ages where, you know, you, you drag the team back 45-25 down, four minutes to go, you win the game. What was that experience like? Well, the... Uh, I wish I hadn't played so bad in the first half. We wouldn't have been down so much, but... Uh, it was great to finally win a bowl game. Uh, you know, BYU had been to a number of games, bowl games prior to that. And, uh, you know, people, everybody that was at the game, I think with four minutes to go, think we weren't going to win that one either. And, uh, but, you know, my dad taught me as, as a youngster, you know, you, you, when there's time on the clock, you never give up. You know, there's always something positive you can get out of the game, you know, whether you come back and win or not. Uh, you, can, you can bring something positive the, the, following, uh, the following week. So, you know, any time left on the clock, you know, you, 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 you never give up, you know, you just keep fighting. And uh, we were able to, uh, you know, go down and score and uh, kick an onside kick, recover that, go down and score again. So now we're only down, uh, you know, seven, eight points, whatever, whatever. I can't, I can't do the math anymore. But uh, we tried another onside kick. I remember we didn't get that one. But uh, our defense finally held. You know, our defense had had trouble all night stopping uh, Eric Dickerson and Craig James. They were kind of running, running roughshod over our defense. But we finally held them, uh, and we blocked the punt. With, and then we had like 18 seconds left in the game, uh, time for about three plays. And, uh, you know, the first play, I just threw a terrible bat pass. Good thing I did because probably would have been picked off. Uh, the second play, I think I threw it through the end zone, and then the there was three seconds left. And I said, guys, you know, we've come too far from behind. Let's somebody, you know, somebody get in the end zone and catch this ball. And sure enough, I go back and, and uh, throw it as high and as far as I could throw it. And I, I could still just see these four guys from SMU jumping for the ball. And the one guy from BYU, Clay Brown, the tight end, he barely even got off the, off the ground 
but he was the only guy to touch that ball. It, it still amazes me to this day how those all those arms missed it and his it ended up in his. So, you know, somebody up there was looking out for us. They wanted Lavelle to win a finally win a bowl game, and uh, I was glad I was part of that. Well, Jim, after the, after that particular season and, and that game, you still went on to have some really fabulous seasons with BYU and you know Trump for over three thousand yards one season, over twenty touchdowns. It was very evident that you were going to go early in the drafts. You know, you go to the Bears as the fifth pick. You know, a quarterback goes in the a four to the Baltimore Colts. We at that time, can you talk just about the draft experience because it's so different to how it is today. Today is like a crazy world that we live in now with the draft. But for you back then, what it was like, and were you surprised that you weren't selected by the Baltimore Colts? Yes, I was because all indications were that I was going to go to Baltimore. Uh, I'd been back to Baltimore a couple of times to meet with the team. Uh, I was having lunch at Johnny United with Johnny Unitas at, at his restaurant in, in Baltimore. He was telling me all about the city, how I was going to love it. But I had forgotten. I had told my agent at the time that I didn't really want to play in Baltimore. And I've, I'd forgotten all about that. So on draft day, when Pete Rosell got up and said, and the Baltimore Colts pick with their number four pick quarterback, I'm thinking it's going to be me. And then I hear Arch Sleister, Ohio State. <laughs> I was just, I was very surprised. And I, then I was like elated because, okay, good, I'm not going to Baltimore. I had no idea who was picking next. And Chicago ended up uh, being the next pick because, like I said, all my concentration was uh, I'm going to Baltimore, and all of a sudden it didn't happen. And then uh, the phone, my phone rings. It was Chicago. And, uh, you know, three hours later, I'm sitting in front of George Hallis and Mike Ditka. So it was an interesting day, but uh, it all worked out. And, and yeah, I suppose, um, Jim, you know, going from BYU, it's a little bit restricted. Let's say <laughs> BYU probably not going to be the main university in Dublin or, or anywhere in Ireland. But then going from More than BYU, a little bit restricted. Just a little bit. And, and then you, you Dick uh, and Halas, as, as you mentioned, not the most fertile ground for, for somebody with a, a more spirited side. That was definitely a, a different experience from what, what most uh, people do in college. You know, all the, all the people that I've talked to in the different schools that they went to had to say, you know, how, how much fun they had and this and that. And uh, my, my fun was on Friday nights or Saturday afternoons whenever we got to play because the rest of the week was a struggle. Uh, very different society, you know, a different religion. Had I not played my last years of high school ball in Utah, I, I probably wouldn't have made the, the five years at BYU because at least I kind of got an understanding or a feeling for, for what was going on and how I'm supposed to act and, and uh, you know, what you, what you are and what you aren't supposed to do. Uh, yeah, that was, that was tough. You know, you're, you're 18 years old, you're going to college, you're supposed to have some fun and because my other choice, I think I mentioned earlier, was Nevada, Las Vegas. And that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to Vegas. Uh, my dad's, I came, that was my last recruiting trip. And I came home from Vegas and Pops, I'm going to Vegas, man. I had a great time. He said, no, you're not. It's not a, not a big enough school. And I said, listen to me, Pops. I said, they just offered me a house, car, money, easy job at a casino. I mean, who knows what could have happened? I could have been Steve Wynn or, you know. Probably not there, but yeah, I would have had a hell of a lot more fun during the week. But, uh, you know, BYU was a great choice because I ended up learning a hell of a lot of football. And, and like I said earlier, a lot about life and people. So, you know, it was a struggle for five years, but it was well worth it. 
and you know your your parents raised you obviously to, to with that winning mentality but with the belief in yourself and and you know you you were an individual and uh you know who who was strong-willed and then you go and Mike Ditka um is is another strong-willed individual what was yeah. what was that the transition to to life under Mike Ditka like uh, not very different it was very very restrictive again, pretty much. Uh, you know, he came in and his his first meeting with our team was, he goes, look, we're going to the Super Bowl in the next three or four years. He goes, that's the good news. He says, the bad news is most of you guys won't be here. And he was right. I mean, he cleaned house. He got rid of, you know, eight, nine-year veterans who were just kind of, you know, good ball players, but just kind of hanging around collecting checks. And, uh, you know, he got rid of everybody pretty. He cleaned house. And, uh because we were going to work and we did work. Nobody outworked us. And in the seven years I was there, I mean, we were in pads, you know, pretty much Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And he would have put pads on us on Saturday. I think if the, if the other coaches wouldn't have said anything, but it was like literally playing four games a week in Chicago because Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every practice was like a game. It, it was live. There was no buddy, buddy periods, you know, like, Hey, just take it easy here. No. You know, Buddy Ryan and Mike Dickett didn't get along, and that trickled down into the players. So our practices lasted three, three and a half hours. Every there's fights every play. I mean, it was just, it was brutal. I mean, Sundays were was like a day off. We couldn't wait to get to Sundays and stop beating the crap out of each other and, and go beat on somebody else. Well, Jim, you you must have grasped that work ethic very quickly because you 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 immediately started as quarterback. You you know, in your rookie year, you. You picked up the baton, became the starting quarterback. They went to the playoffs the first year. Can you talk to us about, as you say, the, the Sunday was the easy day. What was it like to become an NFL player and the whole, I suppose, the emotion of actually finally making it within the, the NFL league? Well, it was, you know, great to be up there. I, I've always always had confidence in my own ability. So I never worried about, you know, where, where I was going to go or, or who was in front of me. Uh, my attitude was I, I, I was the best out there. I'm going to play. And, you know, that, that wasn't always the case. And I didn't get to play once I left Chicago, it was, it was rough here and there, but you know, that was my, my mentality, whether or not if I was teammates with Joe Montana or Dan Marino or John Elway, that would have still been my mentality. I'm, I want to be the starter. And so my rookie year, I didn't start the opening game and I didn't deserve to start the opening game. I wasn't, I wasn't really ready. I didn't, I really wasn't enthralled with our offense. I mean, after just coming from a, a place where I got to throw the ball pretty much every down to a place where I got to throw it like once every third, third down, you know, uh, it was, it was boring as hell to me, but, uh, I ended up starting, I think the second half of our second game, my rookie year. And then from then on, I, I, I started, uh, into 1983, got benched a couple games in 83. And then from then on, I was a starter, but, uh, yeah, it was, it wasn't to me, it wasn't that hard of a transition. I think going from high school to college, the speed of that, the different speed of high school to college was a lot greater than the speed from college to pros. If you understand what I'm talking about, that just the speed of the game, the speed of all the different players. Um, Cause in high school, you might have, you know, if you're lucky, you got three or four really good players in high school and everybody else is trying to hang on. But then you get to college pretty much, you know, every position has got a pretty good player. And then in the pros, if you're not good, you're not going to be in the pros anyway. So 
uh, I think that transition from high school to college is a lot different. But, you know, it, 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 to me, it wasn't that hard making the transition to the pros because I understood the game. I understood offensive football. I understood defensive football. You know, you, you can't be successful on offense unless you understand what they're trying to do to you on defense. And I always understood that, you know, I got great coaching in college. I mean, we, like I said, we threw the ball pretty much every down. So we, we were always looking that way. You know, a lot of teams back in the day when I was playing, they were running football teams. So the quarterback, as soon as he got the ball, he would turn his back to the line of scrimmage. He never saw what happened over there. So those guys took a little bit longer to acclimate themselves to the pro game and, and, and actually see what the hell is going on on defense. So if, if we go to the 85 season, obviously the, the Super Bowl winning season, Jim McMahon, Walter Payton, Mike Singletary, William Perry, you guys had a hell of a team. Uh, we had we had a great football team, not only in 85, but, you know, from from mid 84 until 88, we we had the best team in the league. I mean, we, we had home field advantage four straight years in the playoffs. You know, and that that doesn't happen very often, if ever. Uh, maybe New England did it for years, but after we had beat them twice, but uh, <coughs> yeah, it was just uh, just a great group of guys, a, a lot of different personalities and just good football players. And uh, you know, we, our scheme on defense was different at the time. So people were having trouble picking it up. Uh, and plus you plug in the players that we had on defense into that system, it's, it's, it's hard to beat. You know, we like I said, it, we were glad to get to Sunday because Wednesday, Thursday, Friday were brutal for us. And in the, the lead up to the, the Super Bowl, there were some kind of blatant lies about you put out there, which made life very, very difficult for you. During the game itself then, obviously the, 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 the lead up had been very difficult. Did that provide any extra motivation? Because you remain to this day the only QB to rush for two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. Well, you know, the incident you're referring to is, is just a, some idiot in the media went on TV and, and said that I had called all the women of New Orleans sluts and the men stupid. I mean, where he got that comment, I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, but yeah, I was getting death threats for the next three days. Uh, had women picketing the hotel. Uh, guys on my team didn't want to stand by me at practice because we, we practice at the old Saints facility down in New Orleans. And it was their field, uh, right behind the field was a big apartment complex. And, you know, I've seen the, those crazy movies like Black Sunday. And, you know, if guy wants to take you out, he's going to do it. And so I, I was wearing a different jersey at practice. And nobody wanted to stand by me. And uh, they said, Mac, you're going to get shot, you know. And I said, look, I, I didn't even do it. Why, why, why are people picking on me? I think they tried to do it just to get me out of my game plan or something. I, I really don't know. But it, it didn't really affect me. Uh, once the game started, but uh, as soon as that that final you know whistle went off, I I sprinted right for the right for the locker room. I, I didn't hang around the field and do all the stuff they do now. I was in that locker room, showered and changed before pretty much the rest of the team got in there. I said, I'm getting out of town while I can, while I still can. <clears throat> but so the game was like anticlimactic. I don't really remember a lot of the game. I just remember just saying, Hey, just get through this game and get the hell out of town, and then boom. And then 11 years later, I'm back in New Orleans in the Super Bowl and we're playing the same team again, New England. That, that was the, like the most deja vu, deja vu moment of all time. 11 years later on the same day in the same stadium against the same team. 
with the same outcome, which was even great. Well, Jim, before you, you, you got to Green Bay, obviously there was a few years thereafter with the Bears, as you touched on, you felt they were the best team in the league throughout a number of years. But the 86 season, you dislocate your shoulder. There's conversations around whether the injury is legit. And how did you feel you, you had to cope again? You, you've been put with adversity that you had to deal with. How did you feel you cope with that situation? Yeah, it was, it was rough because I was getting bad information from the trainers and the doctors for one. I dislocated my, my throwing shoulder opening game of 1986. And I should have gotten a, a, a surgery like two or three days after that. But our doctor kept saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with your arm. And I could feel this thing popping in and out of, of the socket. And so this was happening a hundred times a day. Anytime I moved my arm, it would pop out. It was just, it was brutal. Uh, and some days I could practice, I could throw, and the next day I couldn't move my arm. And and I think the trainer was giving bad information to some of the other players, especially defensive guys. The offensive guys knew I was hurt. Uh, but I, you know, as a quarterback, you need you know your your throwing arm is pretty damn important as a quarterback. And and I was I, I'm still amazed to this day that I was able to play in six games that year, and we won them all. And I was able to throw the ball. And how I completed it, I don't know because I couldn't feel my arm. And they'd shoot my shoulder all you know I don't know how many times to deaden everything, and then. I would play and then I'd have to ice it for a couple of days before I could even move it. So that was very, very frustrating. But uh, <clears throat> I'm, like, like I said, I'm very lucky to be able to continue my career after that year. Our team doctor actually flew out to LA the, when I had my surgery and uh, they cut me from the top of my shoulder down to my armpit. And as soon as they opened up my arm, our doctor went, oh my, he wasn't lying. This is what Frank Job, the other doctor told me after the surgery. And I said, well, why would I be lying? I know what, this is my body. I know what's going on in my body. And when something's wrong, something's wrong. And uh, so I don't, hopefully they didn't doubt me after, after that. Uh, Jim, there's, there's many players that after they win a Super Bowl, they reflect on the one they didn't win more so than the one they did win. And that, well, once you had that injury that season, you know, the Bears had a, a good season and you obviously had a season ending injury in December against the Packers. Do you ever look back and think that potentially you could have won two Super Bowls in a row? Well, we could have won four or five in a row. I mean, we had a chance in 84, like I said, went to the NFC championship game, uh, 86. We just went 15 and one in 85, 86. We were 14 and two. It wasn't like we disappeared. You know, we lose the opening game of the playoffs at home. And then 87, uh, I think we had the best record in the league. That was another strike that I had gone through. Uh, we lose the opening round again at home. And then in 88, we lose the NFC championship game at home. So it's not like we went away. We had, we had definitely had our chances. We just, just did not play well at, at home in the playoffs. And it's very, very frustrating, but uh, yeah, we all look back and say, yeah, we could have did this, could have done that, but we didn't. So, but they still remember the one we did win. Yeah, we certainly they do around around the world. It reverberated uh, everywhere. I think uh, probably it was coming on to TV. I think in in the UK and in Ireland at that time. So um, it really um, resonated over here. And you know that's what we've been talking about is your time with, with the Bears. But you mentioned it earlier. You you did go back to to the Super Bowl um, this time as backup. But to kind of I mean you were talking about like the similarities. You were backing up maybe kind of an equally free spirit of a QB in, in Brett Favre in, in ways. So, so uh, you know, many similarities. Did you enjoy your time in Green Bay? Yeah, I did. I, uh, 
coach uh, Mike Holmgren was our head coach. Had a lot of respect for him. I thought he he ran his team the way you know I, I I would run a team. You know, work work when you're supposed to work, but give you give you guys some times off. Um, but it was it was great to play with Reggie White again. I got to play with Reggie in Philadelphia, and to see him finally get a Super Bowl was nice. Uh, but yeah, Brett was Brett was definitely a free spirit, a uh, great football player, tough kid. Uh, and I told him at the start of that of that '96 season, because we had just lost the NFC Championship game the year before, in '95. And I said, "This is kind of, you know, working out the way it did it back in 1985 for us." I said, "We lost the NFC Championship game in '84, knew we we're going to be good in '90 or '85, ended up winning it." I said, and then I, I noticed in the schedule, I said, the Super Bowl is back in New Orleans this year, and it's on the same day that we won 11 years ago. I said, just don't screw this up, because this, this is like, this is fate, man. This has got to happen. And uh, good thing he didn't screw it up. <laughs> we got it's, it done. It's interesting you mentioned Reggie, because we've been fortunate to have uh, Wade Phillips on, on the show. And, and Wade is a guy who's coached uh, some amazingly talented uh, defensive players. But he talks about Reggie in a, in a special way, even though he's obviously had uh, Bruce and he's at Vaughn and he's at Aaron Donald, but he, Re Reggie seems like a, a special player and a special person. Oh, there's no doubt about it. He was a very unique individual, very religious guy. And him and I, him and I got along great in Philadelphia. They used to call us Buck and the Preacher. So you, I guess you can figure out who the Buck was. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, him and I just always seemed to hit it off. And, uh, you know, we, we laughed a lot and and joked around, but, you know, he was a very, very intelligent player and, and, and one of the strongest, strongest guys I've ever met, just naturally strong. I mean, he was just, I hardly ever saw him in the weight room. That guy could, he could throw around 350 pound old linemen like they were nothing. And it was, it was kind of incredible to see. And when you went to, you got to go to the White House uh, after winning that Super Bowl with the, with the Packers, and you, I suppose, had, had a reason to, to let people know that you used to be the, the starting QB for the, for the Bears, right? Well, what happened there is back when we won in Chicago uh, in 85 or 86, the space shuttle blew up, the space shuttle Challenger blew up two days after we won. So all the focus was on that, which was rightfully so. But I think they could have snuck us into the White House prior to, you know, the 11 or 12 years it took them to do that. And so when I was with Green Bay, we're, we're going to the White House. And I said, look, we didn't get to go back 11 years ago. And, and some of my younger teammates didn't even know why. So they don't they didn't even remember the, the, the space shuttle. And I said, well, that all the focus was there. So I said, I'm going to represent our team. And I, I, I talked to all my teammates and the coaches and told them what I was going to do. So they didn't really have a problem with it. Uh, I actually called some of my old, old linemen from Chicago and I said, send me your Jersey. I'll hold those up during the team picture too, but they didn't do it. But I, I had my Jersey on Bill Clinton was the president at the time. And he's, he's just, you know, laughing. He goes, why are you wearing that Jersey? I said, well, we didn't get to come when we won. And I had to explain the whole thing to him too. I said, yeah, you remember the space shuttle Challenger blew up? He, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. I said, well, that's why we didn't get to come, and that's why I'm representing Chicago. There was one guy that was a little upset, and that was Fritz Shermer, who was our defensive coordinator with the Packers. And then I realized why is because Fritz was a defensive coordinator for the, the Rams in 85 when we beat them to go to the Super Bowl. So I think it brought back some bad memories for him. But 
other than that, nobody really had a problem with maybe some of the Green Bay fans were pissed, but I, I've, I've explained it over and over again. Hopefully they've gotten over it. Uh, you know, my teammates and coaches, like I said, didn't have a problem with it. So I didn't lose any sleep. Good, because I, I think uh, certainly anyone I've talked to around the league thinks it was, was fantastic. And the, the 85 Bears finally did get to go to the White House more than a quarter of a century later in, in 2011. And uh, you had uh, you had your trademark headband with you. I, I had mine with me. I gave one to uh, Obama. Uh, I can't remember what I put on his, but yeah, it was it was kind of fun to go back finally with the bears you know and, and they wanted me to go through all the you know the little tour of the white house that they take you on and i said no i've already done that you guys go just open the bar up here outside because they they had a bar set up and, and coach dickie didn't want to walk through the white house either so he was sitting there and i said coach when are they gonna open this bar he goes right now and he got it he got the bar open so whatever where the rest of the team was taking the little tour coach and i had a couple of pops outside Jim, there's, there's many a Bears fan in Ireland. They're probably one of the, I, they put them up there as probably one of the top teams support over here. And a lot of people ask, what's Jim McMahon's health like today? Because you're still a hero to so many fans, especially people in their age group in our mid-40s. Um, how is Jim McMahon's health today? Because it has been well documented over the years that you've had a number of health issues. Are you in good? You couldn't fettle, as they say? Well, uh, I still have to problems with my head and my neck. Uh, I have to go back to New York every three or four months and get a little adjustment. Uh, my spinal fluid uh, gets choked off and it gets stuck in my brain and I got to have that cleared out. But other than that, once I'm, once I'm uh, get, get adjusted, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm fairly normal. I think uh, I talked earlier about, I, I just had a, uh, an ankle surgery, had it done the day before Thanksgiving, just for, so a couple of bone spurs, some little bit of bone off my ankle, it got infected. So three days later, I had to go back in the hospital for eight days, had two more surgeries. Uh, they talked about cutting off my foot. Uh, just <laughs> the infection was so bad, but <clears throat> I finally got over that. So I had a couple of huge, huge uh, holes in my foot that took about five months to close up. So my foot hasn't moved in, in five months. And then, uh, just this past month, I'm able to put it in some some hot water in a whirlpool to get some circulation because it's it's frozen solid. It doesn't want to move at all right now, and it's it's been nine months now, and so I'm tired of these crutches and this other little scooter I have to get around on. But uh, and my shoulder, my right throwing shoulder, still bugs the crap out of me. I, I don't sleep well every time I move. I I wake up so, but other than that, I feel great. You know, I'm still still moving around, still playing golf and. Uh, when I can. We, we've seen, I suppose, numerous films over the past few years around, I suppose, trying to grow awareness of the enormity of playing in the NFL and the injuries that players who are retired have to deal with, which you kind of touched on there. Would you, would you put a large majority of your condition down to the fact that you played in the league for so long? Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, all these, all these hurts that I have are, are from the game of football. I mean, we, and we all kind of, understood that growing up you know we we knew we we're going to have bad knees or bad shoulders uh you know feet backs nobody ever talked about the brain and the head you know and uh, and that that's pretty much the most important thing you got going for you uh but uh, you know they're, they're trying to do things now to change rules and uh the equipment's getting better but 
there's no helmet in the world that can stop your brain from hitting the side of your skull when there's a collision. And so that these things are still going to happen. These concussions are going to happen. And as long as, you know, I, I just, I've been complaining, just take care of the guys when they're done. You know, cause when you, when you're done with football, you're, you're off their, uh, their, your insurance or their insurance and you got to get your own. And I had to go 10 years without, without insurance because they said every bar, part of my body was excluded. You know, so I, I couldn't even get insurance for 10 years. They said, if you can go 10 years without a surgery, you can get your insurance back. So I did 10 years. I did. And then I, I had my knee done. I had my shoulder done again. Uh, but it, it's ridiculous. I mean, just take care of the guys that have made the, you know, made the league what it, what it's turned into. Cause they're making billions of dollars every year, you know, keeping these guys on their insurance ain't going to, ain't going to cost them another dime. I think it's interesting when you see players like Andrew Luck retiring at 30. I think they've actually grasped the importance of trying to get out of the game whilst they're healthy to have a, a reasonably solid life, not having to deal with the type of injuries that, that you and former other players have, have had to deal with who played in the 80s, for example. Oh, yeah. The guys before me, like Coach Dicka and his crew, uh, he's struggling. Uh, he's trying to help as many ex-ball players as he can with his foundation. Uh, yeah, it's just it's sad that they don't take care of the guys that, you know, made the league what it is today. Cause back in the early eighties, football was struggling. I mean, our fan base, you know, our TV wasn't good. Uh, but I think the bears really helped revitalize the whole NFL back then because we started getting more, you know, different, uh, genre of fans. You know, I talked to a lot of back then I was talking to a lot of these grandmothers said, Oh, we never watched football till you guys came along. We see how much fun you're having. And I think that's what the people remember about, you know, our, the Bears team of the 80s is that we, you know, we had a lot of fun, but we, we won a lot of ball games too. Yeah, no, I, that, that is very true. And I know one of the things that uh, might be in the works is a, is a documentary, Jim, uh, Mad Mac. Is, is that going to, are we, we going to see that come to screens? Um, hopefully, hopefully soon. You know, the guy's been working on it for almost two years now. Uh, he just sent uh, another copy to, to, to his attorneys, make sure everything's good with the league and this and that. Uh, I've, I've seen the first half of the film and that's basically from, you know, growing up through, I think it's to the Super Bowl, And then I think the second half of the film will be mostly what, what happened after that. And, and after I've retired, because I do a lot of, a lot of charity work. I do a lot of stuff with our military and hopefully that'll be, that'll be prominently featured in the second half of that film. So, yeah, it's going to be out soon. Hopefully in the next, I'd say three to six months, I would, I would think. Well, we, we will definitely uh, look, look forward to, to, to that one. And I suppose like in terms of that ability to, you know, to, to, to share your, your story, um, what was, was that like, was it something that, that you wanted to, to do to, to be involved and, and to, 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 I suppose, have it be with, with Jim McMahon on, on board? Because I know there's plenty of videos out there because you are an entertaining character on, on YouTube where we get kind of chat, but was it something you wanted to have a hand in? Well, when the producer called me about this, the film, he, that was my first question. I said, what are you going to do that hasn't been done already or, or hasn't been seen? Uh, and he just said, well, I, I want to take a different approach to this. He goes, he's done a lot of, I guess, quite a few documentaries. Uh, I was just with him in Nebraska. He was filming the, uh, the Tecmo Bowl championships. You remember the, the old 
uh, video game from the eighties. You know, the, the bears are actually a pretty good team in that. Uh, so he was filming the, the national championship for the Tecmo bowl league in Nebraska a couple of weeks ago. And he's an interesting guy. I mean, he's, he just loves his filming and uh, we'll, we'll see what, what the second half of that film looks like. Jamie touched on the, <clears throat> excuse me, the charity work and what you do just at, at this stage, you're like, what's the personal interest that kind of motivate you to keep going today? Well, I got five grandkids right now. That's, that motivates you. I got another one on the way. Uh, I don't get to see them as often as I'd like. You know, two of them live in California. Two of them are in Chicago, and there's one in Arizona where I where uh, my home is. <coughs> but that and the uh, getting out on the golf course once in a while. It's been nine months, but I did get. I played in a tournament in Lake Tahoe three weeks ago that it's a big celebrity event that's been going on for 33 years and I've been to every tournament. So I went out there and, and tried to play one, one legged just so I can keep my streak going. Cause there's only been two guys to, to make all those events. And that's myself and Jack Wagner. He's the actor. And I couldn't let an actor outlast me. So I was out there, kept my streak going. I didn't come in last, which was good. Jim, this has been an absolute treat for us. We cannot thank you enough for taking the, the time to, to chat to us. Um, we, we love following you on Twitter. Um, it, it's always uh, hugely entertaining. And we really hope that we will have the, the opportunity to, to welcome you and your sons back to the little green island when you are back play, playing golf, playing the full 18 holes. But thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today. Hey, my pleasure. I got to play the, the last time I was there, I got to play Lahinch, Bally Bunyan, and Old Head. And Old Head oh. is still one of my favorites in the world that I've played so far. So I look, come, look forward to coming back and playing those courses and hopefully a couple more in the northern part. Absolutely. Thanks, Jim.